0: Seattle. How do those two things have anything in common? Well, it solves the mystery of a forest on the border of Oregon and Washington that died 324 years ago. And it also sends a warning. You see, on January 28th, of 1700, as we recorded, a 600-mile-long tsunami hit Japan. It was huge. What made the Japanese really befuddled about this was they knew of no earthquake that went with it. And tsunamis and earthquakes, generally speaking, go together. The one causes the other. The earth shifts underneath the seabed and causes a gigantic wave that comes in and hits the shore. And they they wrote down that it was really strange. It was what became known as an orphan tsunami. Just all of a sudden, this huge wave comes in and hits the seashore and just uh, battles everything there and, and destroys all kinds of things. And nobody knew why. There had, in fact, been an earthquake, a massive 9.0 magnitude earthquake. But it was 3,000 miles away off the coast of what would later become the United States on the Cascadia Fault Line, just off the uh, northwest coast. When this happened, the land, where a thriving cedar forest had been for hundreds of years, dropped suddenly several feet. The whole area around there just dropped. The land underneath the seabed, out to to sea a little ways, thrust upward several feet and caused a massive wave the length of the continent. It just rose up out of the sea and rushed off in both directions. Now, it took that wave 10 hours to travel across the Pacific and hit Japan. They recorded exactly what time it hit. But it only took 15 minutes for that wave to hit what would become our West Coast. And that forest that had suddenly, all the land around that forest, that had suddenly dropped several feet, was inundated and just absolutely flooded with salt water, and it killed the entire forest. And the stumps of the trees are still there, and scientists did not know why this forest had died until the mid-1990s. In further investigation about this event, they found that several Native American tribes had passed down oral traditions going back and they, they had recorded how many generations back this, these events had happened. Several different tribes up and down the coast recorded a massive event that happened. One of those kept, kept a record orally and passed it down that every Single Native American on Vancouver Island every single one died. They were washed away in a flood that annihilated the entire tribe that had been there. All pretty much right at the exact time that the Japanese recorded that the tsunami hit on their side of the ocean. It's scary stuff. Here's what's scarier. Much research, a lot of research, has gone into studying the 10,000-year history of earthquakes along the Cascadia Fault Line. They weren't really aware of what was going on until about 30 years ago, but they've put a ton of research into it since then. And there have been a lot of earthquakes That came from that fault line over the last 10,000 years. And its recurrence interval, the average time between earthquakes, is 243 years. That's their average time. Now, here's the bad news for those out there the average amount of time is 243 years. But can you do the math from 1700 to today? It's 324. they are 81 years overdue for a massive earthquake along the Cascadia fault line, at least on average. According to the 2015 article by Katherine Schultz in the New Yorker, where I gathered probably half of the information that I'm giving you today, The odds of another big one happening within the next 41 years are one in three. One in three that within the lifetime of people in this room, that area will be annihilated by another massive earthquake. When that happens, it will wreak havoc. You see... Before the mid-1990s, nobody knew that there was this massive fault line and that there was a a likelihood of these huge earthquakes out there in that region. So most of the buildings that are built out there were not built to be earthquake-proof. Most of them. Like 9 out of 10 of the buildings out there will collapse approximately one million buildings when this earthquake hits. And it's a when, not a if. Approximately one million buildings will simply collapse and fall apart. And there'll be burst gas mains and all kinds of things going on. Because the earth will shake for four to six minutes and literally just shake everything apart then. Wow, that's some serious face. We're impressed. I don't think they can hear me. Ten minutes after the earth stops shaking for four to six minutes and the buildings, most of them collapse, ten minutes later, the wall of water will arrive on the coast and it will be 40 to 60 feet high. In some places, it may reach a hundred feet high wave. And it will slam into the Pacific Northwest. And everyone who is in the inundation zone, the area where they estimate the wave will reach inland, everybody that's there will die. They will drown. You might have one or two survivors like the one in uh, 2011, was it? That huge one hit Japan and and they had a couple of people that that, uh, got swept away and came back and they survived. But everybody else is going to drown. Because you'll have, from the first warning that you get that it's coming to when it hits, depending on how far inland you are, you'll have ten minutes to maybe, if you're at the very inside edge, you might have up to 30 minutes in order to get out of that zone. And keep in mind, a 9.0 earthquake will have just hit. There won't be roads to drive on. Unless you've got a dirt bike or something, you're going to be hoofing it. What do you think the odds are of people making it out? Then, 10 to 12 hours later, another tsunami will hit. And it will be as big, if not larger, than the first one. The number of people who live right now in the inundation zone is about 80,000 people that live where that tsunami will wipe them out. So here's the big and obvious question that anybody who knows this should be asking, why on earth would tens of thousands of new people keep moving into that area, which will, not might, will, be completely wiped off the face of the earth, possibly within our lifetimes? Why would they do that? The populations of Portland and Seattle have done nothing but go up since this article came out and since the science has learned exactly what's going to be going on out there. Where the waves hit along the coast, that's nothing but swelling population also. Why? Why would people move to an area where this is so likely to happen? If I were to say to you today, if I were to say, hey, you know what? There's some houses for sale in my neighborhood. It's a really nice neighborhood. The taxes are low. The people are nice. The weather's usually pretty good, although ten minutes later it might be a little bit bad. And you only have a one in three chance of your entire family being wiped off the face of the earth while you live there. Would you move to my neighborhood? I don't think you would. I think you would go, um, no, I'm good, thanks. I think I'll stay right where I am. Who would do that? It's because it has not happened since before any white man ever set eyes on that area. An entire civilization has come into existence since the last quake. The danger was really only discovered to be how bad it is about 30 years ago. But I'm thinking most people that live out there, if they've lived there for any amount of time, they've heard about it. They've had, hey, you guys know about the the whole thing with the Cascadia fault line? I mean, even if you just moved there, you'd be like, wait, what? You want to run that by me again? They have just come into... Something a bit similar to what is called the normalcy bias. The concept that, well, it hasn't happened yet, so it probably never will. They shrug their shoulders and they think, that's been so long ago, it's not going to happen to me. It won't happen while I live here. They're wrong in thinking that it hasn't happened at all. And they're wrong in thinking that it won't happen. It will happen, and it very well could happen within their lifetimes. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to do verses 1 through 13 at first, but we'll go back for 14 later. Excuse me. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior. Excuse me, Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all. That scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact. of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives? Peter's very clear about his intentions in this writing. He wants to get us stirred up. He wants to move us from complacency. If you were completely unaware of the likelihood of a major Acadia fault line event, and you know people who live out there, you go, wait a minute, my brother-in-law lives on that coastline. You might have been sitting up a little bit in your seat while I was explaining to you what is going to happen eventually out there, and it may happen soon. That's what Peter's trying to do, but in a Christianity-wide scale. He wants all of Christianity to be sitting up and taking notice and going, oh, yeah, Forgot about that. He was somewhat different, however, in that what I was telling you about the West Coast, chances are most of you didn't know that, or at least you didn't know the details of what is going to happen out there. You weren't aware, perhaps, of the 1700 massive earthquake and the average time span between events. Peter's not sharing with them any brand new information. They all knew about what the prophets of the Old Testament had said, and they were all aware of what Jesus and the apostles had warned them and told them about Jesus' return. What Peter was doing, and consequently what I'm doing this morning, was to be reminding the saints, every Christian, what they already knew, that Jesus will return, that the end will come. We're just not sure when. So why would they and frankly, why would we today need to be reminded of this? It's not as though there's much of a chance of me going, oh hey, I I completely forgot, and you probably forgot too, Jesus is actually coming back someday. I doubt anybody here forgot that fact. It's not a shocker truth. I know that some of us have really bad memories. Some of us can be told things three, four, five six times and then our wife has to tell us again but I don't think that no matter how bad a man's memory is a man brought up in the church is not going to go, oh Jesus is coming back? Oh, completely forgot that one What's that all about? It might not be something that is on the top of our minds all the time but it isn't something we actually forgot It's more like maybe we start to occasionally have doubts a little. Like maybe we hear the voices of the world criticizing the reality of the Bible, and we might have that creeping doubt start to leak in. The perpetual drumbeat of scoffers can wear away a good person's determination after a while. So we need someone speaking on the other side of that argument. If you just have people constantly telling you over and over again that the Bible's not reliable, that Christianity's a fraud, that that whole second coming thing is a made-up fairy tale, doubts might. So we need to be reminded, fairly regular, that it will happen. And that the scoffers scoff for a reason. It says, scoffers will come in the last days. Just to be clear, the last days doesn't necessarily refer to the just few weeks or months before the end of time. It means virtually everything from the time that Christ returned to heaven the first time and the time that he comes back to earth the second time. In verse 4 it says, They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For a lot of people... It can start to be hard to keep the faith in that withering flood of scars. Resolve can be worn away like the erosion of a shoreline. Little by little, bit by bit, until a wave comes and washes away belief. leaves. If this is ever something which seems to be happening to you, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand the part that comes just before the scripture I just quoted. In verse 3, it says what their motives are. Because they're not just saying this out of good interest. They have motives in their scoffing. It says scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. These aren't impartial judges. They aren't merely examining the evidence and trying very hard to make a righteous and correct decision. They aren't neutral parties when they're scoffing and trying to tell you the Bible isn't true. These are more like politicians who are trying hard to sell you on an idea because it suits their agenda and will bring them more power and whatever they desire. Their motives are listed. They're following their own sinful desires. If there is a God and He is going to return someday to His creation and hold His creation accountable, well then their actions aren't free. Their will be consequences. So they deny that there is a God and that He will return and that there will be a judgment. They just say, ah, that's just not true because they don't want it to be true. They just pretend that it won't happen. They say it's never going to happen because it never has happened. Except what they're really saying is We've never experienced it. They mention that everyone in their family history, including them, have never heard of that this would ever happen. It never happened before. So they're like, it's just business as usual. It won't affect them and it won't affect me. Hey, my great-great-great-great-grandfather was told all this stuff, and it never happened, so it never going to. Kind of like living on the coast of Oregon and saying, I won't dr- drown in a tidal wave because there hasn't ever been a tidal wave in the history that I've ever heard about. Well, our history doesn't go back far enough to have heard about. it. When they do this willful disbelieving, it says that they're forgetting that God did judge the world in the past, and people were destroyed because of their unwillingness to change. Ironically enough, this was done with a flood. Maybe it wasn't in the days of your great-grandfather, or even his great-grandfather. But God did judge the world once, and He is going to do it again. It just isn't happening in your lifetime frame because that isn't God's time frame. I mean, it hasn't happened so far in their frame of reference. Because God's got a little bit bigger time scale that He works on. For some reason, we people tend to think that if something doesn't happen for a while, then it's not going to happen. People say, well, I haven't had anything bad happen yet, so it's not going to happen. Reminds me of the guy who goes to the top of a building and says, I'm pretty sure I can jump off this 30-story building and I'll be just fine. And the other guy standing there says, no, I I don't think that's how it works. He says, no, I'm certain. I'll be just fine. And the other guy says, well, I'm not going to stand here and watch you do this. So he leaves and he goes down. And then he's down on like the third floor and he's got his window open. And he hears this noise as the guy goes falling down past him. And as he passes the fifth story, he says, so far so good That's how people operate. It's like, yeah, okay, you're all right so far, but it ain't always going to be like that. We think that if it hasn't happened, it isn't going to happen, and our frame of reference is this long. We think so far, so good. Verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. It will happen again. The question isn't if it will happen. The question is when will it happen? Sometimes many of us me sometimes probably you also can look around and we see the evil and the hate and the wickedness and the suffering that's going on in this world and we can tend to think you know what God I'd be perfectly okay with you coming back right now now would be a great time Lord I'd just love it if you just come back right now. We wouldn't mind it so much. And then we wonder why he hasn't. When we see all the evil that's going on, we think, why hasn't the Lord returned and brought judgment on this wicked world? Well, he tells us. Verses 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What might be just fine for you and I, having the Lord come back right now, would be a sentence of eternal death for a lot of people. And God is wanting to give them every chance for repentance and to turn and come to Him. I sometimes wonder why. And it's because His reasoning is not like ours because ours is focused on the very, very temporary, even if we try not to. And His focus is on the eternal. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just as eventually the Cascadia fault line will shift, it's it's just a matter of, of fact, it will shift. Those two pieces of land mass are going to slip over each other. And it's going to cause a massive earthquake and a massive tsunami. It's just a matter of when. This passage tells us that eventually the world will pass away. And so what sort of people should we be? And then down in verse 14, as I told you we would. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. We are supposed to be people living with the idea that eventually the Lord is going to return, that we are going to be brought before Him and we need to be living lives according to that. You know, it's it's funny. I, I see a lot of these end times videos or books or whatnot. And one of the things that's fairly common and to my understanding in the study that I've put forward, very mistaken, is that we'll be able to read the, this roadmap of events happening and say, oh, from this time, we've got this many years. And there's going to be seven years of this, and then this will happen at this time, and this will happen at this time. That gives people a false sense of security because they're like, well, I'll be able to know when it's coming, and I'll get straightened up then. No you will come like a thief in the night at an hour when you do not expect. People need to be ready every single day. And what's more, we need to not just live lives where we are ready every single day. We need to be living lives where we are trying to get other people to be ready every single day. Guess what, folks? I'm not moving to Oregon. No thank you, especially on the coast. And if I knew somebody who said, hey, you know what, I'm going to go, I've got a great opportunity to get this condo out on the west coast of of Oregon, and I'd be like, are you aware of some little facts here? You might want to know this before you go moving out there. One in three that it will happen within the next 41 years. One in three. I don't like those odds. Now, people might say, well, you know, that, whatever whatever I said it was, 274 years or whatever, that's an average. And averages can be way off. Absolutely, they can. That fault line may stay very, very stable for another 150, 200 years because averages over 10,000 years are pretty flexible. Then again, it may happen to I don't want to be there. The Lord is going to return. And He is not slow in returning. As some count slowness, He is patient. He might not come back for another thousand years. Then again, He might come back tomorrow. And we need to live lives accordingly and be trying to get everyone we know to also live lives accordingly. Somebody said to me, Do you want to live someplace where you're likely to die, was one in three, that you'll just have this terrible, terrible thing happen and everything will be torn to pieces, I'd say, are you nuts? No way. The same is true for those who are choosing to live their lives, putting them in the path of God's tsunami of His righteous wrath, and we. Need